Great to have you here this morning. Hey, just a couple of uh, prayer requests. We don't do this all the time, but I um, uh, wanted you to be aware of something. Barb Engel, who many of you know, um, is beginning her chemo treatments again on February 22nd. Uh, so be praying for her and that. And then we got word this past Friday that Donna Mackey is having eye surgery on the 21st. Some of you know that, but be praying. And then Rich Roberts, and uh, Rich uh, has had a, a long list of physical needs and things going on, and he is having back surgery uh, in the next week or so. So be praying for Rich as well, and, and uh, uh, his wife, Becky, in, in the midst of all this. Let me pray as we start. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that, um, that we can know you through what Christ did for us on the cross. And God, I do want to pray for Barb as she begins her chemo again. And Lord, we know those are difficult things, so I pray for the strength that she needs, and I pray for the healing that she desires as well. And God, for um, Donna, again, she's had so many things going on, and, and now the eye surgery. God, would you uh, help that? God, guide the doctors that that would be successful, and um, help her in that. And then for Rich Roberts, this has been a long time coming with the pain and the need of that surgery for his back so that he could even get around. And God, we pray for him and his wife and direct them and all that. And Lord, I pray for others that we uh, may not even be aware of or are struggling physically today or spiritually. Father, would you open their hearts, encourage them, minister to them, use your word, use your people, God, your church to encourage them and lift them up to you, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, I don't know if you uh, are aware of what's been happening on college campuses across our country over the last week and a half. Uh, you may or may not, if you have been watching the news or paying attention to maybe some of the emails or internet stuff, but have you heard the word revival? That's what we're talking about. And um, uh, the major news networks and newspapers have been covering what's been going on for the last week and a half at Asbury University down in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. And um, some of the headlines, just Asbury Professor writes, we're witnessing a surprising work of God. Most Wednesday mornings at Asbury University are like any other. A few minutes before 10, students begin to gather in the Hughes Auditorium for chapel. But this past Wednesday, we're talking about Wednesday, February 8th, week and a half ago. This past Wednesday was different. After the benediction, the gospel choir began to sing a final chorus, and something began to happen that defies easy description. Students did not leave. They were struck by what seemed to be a quiet but powerful sense of transcendence, and they did not want to go. They stayed and continued and still are there. Some were reading 
reading and reciting a scripture. Others were standing with arms raised. Several were clustered in small groups praying together. A few were kneeling at the altar in front of the auditorium. Some were lying prostrate, while others were talking to one another, their faces bright with joy. Another headline, Christian University in Kentucky draws pilgrims nationwide amid spiritual revival. Gives me so much hope. Around-the-clock prayer services that have lingered for a week at a Christian university in Kentucky have drawn national attention as participants have flocked nationwide to experience what some are calling a spiritual revival. Students at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky have engaged in continual worship services since the school's chapel on February 8th and have reportedly been marked by prayers, worship, music, testimonies, altar calls, and religious conversion. It's praise and worship, honestly. Nobody's snake handling. It's just praise and worship that's going 24-7. Here's another, um, a former evangelist with the Billy Graham Association and Louis Palau says this, these are the highest percentage of responses to the healing, redeeming message of Jesus that I've ever seen. Could this be a revival? It's easy to be skeptical. We live in an age of hype and celebrity faith leaders. Many will question and criticize, but it always takes faith to believe instead of doubt. Another article. What was scheduled as an hour-long chapel service last Wednesday is turned into a multi-day revival at Asbury University. The impressive reports, another story says, of revival emerging from Kentucky's Asbury University remind us colleges have always been central to the history of revival in America. Revivals have also been central to the history of American higher education. The first great awakening of the 1740s began in colleges, produced colleges, Princeton, Dartmouth, and Brown. The second great awakening in the early 1800s also produced even more institutions of higher learning as a result of the awakening there. Folks, I don't know if you've had any opportunity to, to be um, communicated with and informed as to all that's going on. I've spent quite a bit of time watching, reading, and looking at what is there. And uh, it's, it's very interesting, very amazing from what... Um, there are at least 20 other college and university campuses that have had a similar breakout of the ministry of the Spirit of God that is being called revival. Uh, Cedarville University, many of you will know, the same thing is happening there. Uh, football Stadium at Oklahoma University. So we're talking like big Division I. Uh, Oklahoma University has been booked for a student-led outreach. Quote, students are praying for all 86,000 seats to be filled for the glory of God. So what was your first impression uh, when you heard about it? Maybe prior to today, you saw it in the news or read about it uh, in the paper or on the Internet. Uh, or if today is the first time you're hearing it, what's your first impression when you hear Revival is breaking out on campuses across our country. Amen. Could it be doubt or skepticism? 
that many times is where we go. And there's all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of fluff out there that sometimes is passed off as the real thing. But many times, it is the real thing. And, and the reason we respond with, ah, man, hmm, is this legitimate? Is, is this really revival? Or is it just some emotional kind of carrying on? And, and I think sometimes because we don't regularly see the working of God in or around us in our lives, we struggle to believe it when we see it so upfront in everything that's going on. We're not used to this kind of spiritual behavior. Have you ever prayed for revival? Are you praying for revival? Do you think we need revival? Are you expecting revival? I think when people pray for revival, you better be expecting it or don't pray, right? Why bother if we don't expect God to bring revival? Or do we just do it because, well, we know our country needs revival. We know our world needs revival, so I'll just pray for it. But I'm not really sure that something's going to happen. Um, do you believe God could bring revival to this country? You say, oh, man, we're so far gone. It's like how in the world? Could that happen? What? God couldn't do that? I don't know what they thought. I wasn't around in the 1740s in the first Great Awakening when that happened, but there was skepticism then. During the 1800s, early 1800s, when the second Great Awakening came, there was skepticism then. I don't know what that was like because I, again, wasn't there, but folks, we need to be expecting God to do something. We need to be crying out to God to do something. We need to be living our lives in a way that at least expects God to do something in our own hearts and lives. Psalm 85, verses 4, 5, and 6, we read this, Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Wow, revive us again. The problem with Israel was their sin. They turned away from God. And now as they were facing God's judgment at this point, whatever that may have been then, we read, will you not revive us again that our people may rejoice in you? So as we've been talking over, uh, three weeks ago now about our mission, about the strategy for accomplishing our mission, our mission, that is to make more people more like Jesus. And our strategy then, if in fact we want to make more people more like Jesus, then we must grow up in our relationship with God. And we're talking about worship we started that three weeks ago, and I want to wrap that part of it up today. And then we said, not only growing up on a relationship with God, we must grow deep in our relationship with one another, community. And we're going to talk about that next week, and, and you'll hear more from Scott, but it's interesting. Next Sunday is also our family gathering. That's about community. And then thirdly, we must also grow out in our relationship with the world that's outreach. That's about sharing with people who don't know Jesus their need of Jesus Christ. But as we talk about today, the 
growing up in our relationship with God, which is worship. Maybe we ought to say it in a different way, or maybe we ought to think about it differently. Not just worship, but maybe we ought to think about revival. Because if we're struggling to worship God, maybe it's because our hearts have grown cold. Maybe it's because we've got sin in our lives that we've been overlooking or denying. Things that are there that we know aren't quite what they ought to be. We don't want to call it sin, and yet maybe it really is when we examine the truth of the Word of God. And so maybe what the issue to get to real worship before God for each of us is that we need revival. We talked about worship three weeks ago, the Word itself, to make obeisance, reverence to, to fall down, to stretch out with your face on the ground in adoration or submission, completely overcome with God. That's what is going on in some of these revival locations. People are on their face before God. What appears to have happened at Asbury University is at the end of that service, a young man stood up and spoke about sin in his life, open confession, and it took off. And revival comes when we're willing to honestly and openly and transparently name sin in our lives, call sin, sin, not just talk about it as a mistake or something that shouldn't have happened, or, but sin. That's why revival is necessary. Being Worship is about being completely overcome with God. To express in words, in our attitude, in our gestures, in singing, in prayer, our complete dependence on and submission to God. That's worship. Complete dependence on and submission to God. Worship is giving worth and honor to God. Say, how do we do that? Well, it's like we talk about our favorite things. We, I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this. We, we talk with people in a normal, natural way about what God is doing in our lives. We sit back in amazement at what God has done and what he's, how he's saved us or forgiven our sins. Are you amazed about your salvation this morning? Do you wake up in the morning? We, we quote the verses in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. We talk about the mercies of God are new every morning. We love to talk about that. But are we amazed by what God has done in our lives? So what is revival? Well, listen to this. And just like with worship, there's any number of descriptions or definitions out there available for you, but... Here's one that I came across for revival. The work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, a more vital witness and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. I don't know where each of you are spiritually. I only know about me. And I have to say to you that at times the battle is to 
to fight off that decline and to fight off that routine and the, and the sinking down and the getting caught up in all of the stuff around us and losing the hope and the, and the focus on God. And, and, and we need to be revived, to be restored to a vital spiritual life and walk with Him. Worship, we said, is bigger than just music and singing. Worship is bigger than preaching. Worship is bigger than what happens in this auditorium on Sunday mornings. It is all of that. But it's also more than that. It's the response of our lives to God. It's a response to what He has done. It's looking and saying, what matters most to me in this life? Is it God or am I distracted by other things around me? Worship is a responsive man to who God is and what he has done and what he is still doing. It's responding to God. That's worship. However you respond to God, that is worship. A response to God's, I, I put all of my notes together and I, and, I, and I just wrote this down. I thought, you know what, I want to I simplify. And here's what I put together. A response to God. Worship is a response to God's revelation, primarily through His Word. His revelation of Himself, of His purposes, and His will. And that is right here in the Word of God, the Bible. And we respond to His revelation about Himself, His purposes, and His will because of a relationship both personal and spiritual, that we have with Him. You can't worship God if you don't know Him, if you don't have that relationship with Him. You can't know God, therefore you can't worship God until you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Worship necessitates a response by the worshiper. It could be simply adoration. It may be on your face or on your knees or just simply sitting quietly. Standing quietly. It may be humility, submission, dependence on God, praise, prayer, amazement for what God's done in your life and simply obedience to God. Romans 12.1, we shared with you, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your true and proper worship. We said that word means service. A response to God. In response to God's mercy. And what's Paul talking about there in verse 1 of chapter? By, uh, he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy. In response to God's mercy. And I believe what he's talking about. Yes, we could define God's mercy as not giving to us what we deserve. Death and hell. His wrath. That's what the forgiveness of sins takes away. But I think this mercy here has to do with the whole of our salvation. All before God, as we experience, yes, His mercy, but His grace, His forgiveness. We're given His Word to fill our hearts and minds, to stir us up, to keep us focused. 
We're given the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, when we trust Christ, comes to dwell within us. We're given the opportunity to talk to God. Prayer! Woohoo! Talking to God. Are you kidding me? In response to all of that, Paul says, worship him. Serve him. Paul said it differently in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, when he said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In thinking about worship this week, as I was following and reading through, Jane and I were passing back and forth articles and stories and some videos that we'd seen, and they have a little bit of internet out in Iowa, but... Um, you know, it, it, it works sometimes. Her mom's 94, so she doesn't have internet in the house, right? It's like, what's that, internet? <laughs> but we've been able to do that, and, and, and as I've been caught up, I've just been before God. Oh, God, what do we need? I don't know what's going on in Kentucky at Asbury University and all these other colleges and universities. I, I'm not there. I read and hear of eyewitnesses and those who have written and all the rest of it. But what I do know is that we as a church today in the United States of America need revival. And as we've been talking and thinking and praying through this business of worshiping God, responding to all that he is and all that he's done for us, maybe the problem is that we first need revival. We need to clean up our hearts and our minds and our lives so that as we stand before God, we truly can fall down and acknowledge his greatness and thanksgiving and praise and honor for our salvation and be used of God in this world. Folks, until Jesus comes again, we got no business giving up and just saying, it doesn't matter what I do, it's too late, this country is a mess, it's just gone. You see, revival is also a response to all that God has done. I came across this in studying this business of revival, written by a couple of guys, and the title of the book is A God-Sized Vision, Revival Stories That Stretch and, and Stir, and this is what they say, it may be that we classify, or it may be that what we classify as revival, the apostles understood as the church's expected posture toward God, one another, and the world around them. Do you know what they're saying? That what we call revival, when we see God's people falling on their face, confessing sin and crying out to God and worshiping and praying and sharing the gospel, that's just the normal way of life. We call that revival. When you read the Word of God, the book of Acts and the apostles and all that Paul wrote, that's the normal Christian life. We call it revival because we've moved so far from that. I read that and I thought, oh my word. Revival is the normal way of life. Go on and says, if so, if that's true, then we might understand revivals as times when Christians remember 
and embrace their calling by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they recognize, they remember, we recognize, we remember what we've been given in Christ, our salvation, our calling before God to be holy because he is holy. Jonathan Edwards, who was the leading theologian back in the 1740s during the First Great Awakening, as they began to deal with this revival, that's what the First Great Awakening was about. People were crying out to God, repenting of sin and turning back to him. And, and so he proposed a biblical way to test a revival. And he said, what you need to do is examine his fruit. What really happened and and when the dust settles and when all the the emotion and the excitement and all the noise and the initial excitement of it then the fruit that's left behind will indicate what really happened and it will indicate the genuineness of whether or not that was revival so he came up with four signs he called signs of a genuine spirit driven revival and he said number one it is enhanced and an, an enhanced glory for Jesus. People lift up Jesus and give him the glory and the honor and the praise that he deserves. This doesn't add to the glory of God or Jesus himself. No, that can't happen. But we, and we lift him up and there's an enhanced glory that we give. For Jesus. Secondly, he says it's a da- it will damage the interests of Satan. When true revival comes, when God's people turn back and repent of sin to follow Jesus and fall at his face and acknowledge our need for complete dependence upon and submission to our God, he says Satan will lose battles. Because God's people will be changed and other people will be affected by that who don't know Jesus. And in revival, people come to know Christ. And what's being said, too, about these revivals in our campuses around the country is people are getting saved. Thirdly, there will be a greater regard for the Bible, the Word of God. Folks, how lazy are we in our use of God's Word? we got more Bibles, more availability than any generation has ever had in its life. They're all over. Some of you today have, have tablets or phones, and you've probably got 50 different translations on that phone or tablet. We have Bibles all over the place. Do we use them? Fourthly, he says, a greater love for God and our neighbors. You think about that. So how are you doing with worship? How are you responding to God? And if we're talking about this response to God as worship, a daily living out our calling and salvation before God in complete dependence on and submission to Him as we live every moment of our waking day for Him, Are we worshiping? How are you doing? Our expected, this whole business of worship is our response, just the natural, normal expectation. Folks, listen, 
when you begin to realize, and that's why we talked last week about thinking rightly about God, or two weeks, three weeks ago now. It's so critical that we understand when we stand before God and when we understand who he really is, how can we not respond with the normal, expected, spiritual, proper posture or behavior before him? The kind of life that the Bible talks about, sometimes we read about and we just kind of say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Or that's what I want to do. That's a goal, but nah. It's a spiritual response to God, to one another as a church, and to people who don't know Jesus. You see, our strategy is to help each other grow in our relationship with God. Each of us, that's the church, should encourage each other. That's the church. The church encouraging the church to worship God, to respond to God, and that may mean revival. Starting with us, a change of heart, repentance of sin. How does that happen? Well, we said already, this happens. We will grow in our relationship, grow up in our relationship with God by thinking correctly about God. And we we talked about that, and we looked at uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and we said that, that right at the very beginning, the first of the Ten Commandments, when we're told, you shall have no other God before me. That's what God said to his people. That's us. You shall have no other God before me. And yet Satan has not stopped trying to come between us and God since day one. And we do have other gods. They're called idols. And we said that an idol is anything that you give more time, more energy, more resources, more interest to than God. Satan has not stopped trying to get between Jesus and his father. He did that in the wilderness temptation. And Jesus told Satan, you worship the Lord God and serve him only. And he says that to us too, because the devil is going to do all he can to keep us from serving and worshiping our God. And how does that happen? Well, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform. You know what that word is? That's the picture of the caterpillar to the butterfly. Talk about transformation. Right? I won't pick on the, the, the females in our audience. Because I know there are males that are just as afraid to pick up a yucky, furry, fuzzy, yuck caterpillar, right? But when that caterpillar turns into the most beautiful butterfly you could ever, it's like transformation. Wow. That's what God has done for us. And that's what he'll continue to do as we renew our minds with his word. That's how it happens. How do we think rightly about God? We fill our minds. We program our minds to think rightly by using his word. If we're going to worship God, we've got to think correctly about him. But secondly, we've got to feel passionately for God. And this is where we left off three weeks ago. We must think passionately about God. Listen, we get passionate about a lot of things, right? 
about relationships with people, about our job, I hope. I was talking with a group of guys the other night who were talking about their job like, oh, man. And I'm like, oh. I, I just said to them, I said, you know, what? how sad that you view what, what you've been given to do as a job with just that utter yuck. Something's wrong somewhere. But we talk about the things that we get passionate about, pizza, music, politics, grandkids, money, sports, car, truck, hunting, fishing, golf, and on we could go. We talk passionately about all kinds of things. How about our God? What in your life indicates that you're passionate for God? And if there's not a lot to show for that, maybe we do need revival. We need to deal with our sin because we're, we're not passionate. Listen, in revival there is passion. That's one of the criticisms. Oh, it's just a bunch of emotion and, and, and it'll wear off. Don't worry. Listen, yeah, there can be manufactured emotion. Revival, true revival cannot be manufactured. It comes only as the Spirit of God comes alive in your heart and the lives of those around you. But passion and emotion is part of that, folks. You say, well, I'm not a real, I'm not an outgoing person. I don't, I'm just not that way. Listen, you don't have to be publicly, but whatever God has done in your heart, you cannot respond without passion when you think correctly about what, who God is and what he's done. Look at Acts chapter 4. And if you're following in one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chairs in front of you, it would be there, um, page 760. Acts chapter 4. We recently went through this text, starting back at verse 12. We talked about how Peter and John healed the lame man, and, and then the, the Jewish religious leaders called them in and, and scolded them and told them how wrong, threatened them, and, and, um, and, and they responded, listen, Salvation, in verse 12 of Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And notice this, the religious leaders in verse 13 of Acts 4, they respond to hearing Peter and John. And they say, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, in other words, they hadn't gone to the rabbinical schools, they hadn't been raised in the the, the temple, like in the schools to be taught, and, and they were fishermen, and, and when these religious leaders saw that they were just ordinary, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Why? Because their lives exuded, oozed the presence of God. They couldn't help it. And then they're threatened again, and you go on down, to, they're told uh, in verse 19, or verse 18, they called him in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all. In verse 19, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. Can you? You see, when you're thinking about rightly about God, you can't help it either. Unless there's sin that's come between you and God in the form of some idol that's more important to you than God is. 
that's when we don't speak. That's when we can help it. That's when it's real easy to be quiet. When there's nothing to talk about. But folks, if you know Jesus Christ, there's something to talk about every moment of every day. It goes on down. And they're in, you know, they're let go. After further threats, verse 21, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. You think that was an emotional time? You think there was passion evident there? Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, the church, and reported all that the priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Do you see the response? That's worship. Prayer is a response of worship to God. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father. What are they, what are they doing? They're praising God. They're amazed at the creation of God. Folks, are you? Am I? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Remember, they are praying to God. They are praising, look what God did. God did this. Herod and Pontius Pilate, they did. Those two men, thinking they were on their own, they were just doing what the Jews wanted when they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And yet they're saying, no, God, sovereign Lord. They're saying, you did. You caused them to do what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You think they were fired up? You think they were passionate about what God had done in answer to prayer? And, and when they were thinking rightly about God, what he had caused them to do, and boom, off they go. Verse 31, after they played, prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's response. They spoke the word of God boldly. It is the gospel that is the power of God's salvation who all, to all who believe. If we're going to worship God, we must feel passionately for him. Then thirdly, live obedient. We must live obediently before God. We think correctly about God. We feel passionately towards him. And we live obediently before God. That's worship. It's right there in Acts 4. There's obedience. They said when they're threatened to go to prison with their lives, we can't help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. And God had already given them the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, he'd already told them, go make disciples of all nations. And they said, hey, sorry, guys, but we can't help tell, tell what God's told us to do. Obedience, living obediently before God. I'm not going to look at it now. You can write it down and, 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 and review it for yourself. We quote it often here in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. 
James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I was talking with Scott and Mitch this morning as we were praying before our service, and I said, isn't it interesting? We typically quote that verse by saying, don't just listen to the word, do what it says. Right in the middle of that verse, it says, don't deceive yourselves. Why? Because we think we can listen to the word of God. We think we can read enough of it, and if we don't do it, we're okay. James says, no, no, no. You're deceiving yourselves. If all you're doing is listening and reading and not doing, you're deceiving yourselves. Wow. Living obediently, doing what it says. Listen, we have people worshiping and responding to God all week long in this building. We have a facilities team that empties trash cans throughout this building, that clean bathrooms that mop the floors, that vacuum, that wash windows, that dust, as they give everything they've got for God, that's worship. Your reasonable service. Our guest services people at the door, you're greeted at all of our doors this morning with greeters, ushers, the welcome center, children's check-in, dad on duty, our nursery, our heritage kids volunteers, our worship team that's up here. They are serving God. Our safety team, our deacons, our Awana workers, our kitchen team. You like having coffee down, down the hallway? People are serving God. They're worshiping as they do that. When you serve, you're worshiping God. You're living in response to who he is and what he has done and what he is still doing. You're doing the normal things that are a response to the saving grace and forgiveness of God that you've experienced in your life. You're responding to God. And if we're not doing those things, if we're not worshiping, and if we're not serving, if we're not spending time alone in God's word and before him worshiping, just sitting in amazement at what God's done for you, maybe, just maybe, we need revival. We need our hearts stirred up. So just as Jesus said in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like love your neighbor as yourself. How's your heart this morning? Bob Coughlin in his book Worship Matters says worship isn't primarily about music, about techniques, liturgies, songs, or methodologies. It's about our hearts. It's about our hearts. And if we've allowed sin to just put a fine coating over our hearts that keep us from awe and amazement about God, we need to repent. We need revival. We need to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. This is what God says. So how are you worshiping God this morning? If you're not, do you need revival? Do you need your heart stirred anew? Do you need to repent of sin in your life, maybe that you've not even looked at or called sin, but it's keeping you from 
amazement about God and who he is and what he's done and forgiveness and his grace and his mercy? Do you need revival? Ask yourself, what matters most to you? As you leave this auditorium this morning, what matters most to you? What is it that causes you to get the most upset? What bothers you? You know, when you begin to think through these things, all of a sudden you find out what matters most. And if it's not God, we need revival. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, God, help us to worship you. God, help us to fall honestly before you on our faces and look at our hearts and ask you to search our hearts and to know our hearts and to test our hearts to see if there's any wicked way in us. And God, to repent. Oh, Lord, we need revival. There's no question. Lord, I pray this morning for those students and, and adults around our country on these college campuses and maybe even in churches this morning around our country who have fallen on their faces before you in revival, repentance of sin and crying out to you for your power to be evident in this world, this dark, evil world in which we live. God, help our lights to shine before men so that they would see you, Father in our lives. Well, God, if there's any here today who do not know Jesus, this, what I've said this morning has just been strange to them. God, open their hearts. Convict them of their sin and that only Jesus and his work on the cross, his shed blood, can forgive that sin. God, help us who know you to proclaim what we've seen and heard because we can't help it. For it's in Christ's name I pray.